so you actually integrate meditation as a technique in your coaching? Absolutely do. If, if a client is willing and if I feel that it's the right time for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I mean by that is, you know, as you and I talked a week and a half ago, as you were yeah. saying you know, on that, in that inaugural meeting, for me, it wasn't the right time even four years ago when I was diagnosed with, you know, my PTSD and ADHD. So meditation at that point was something that I would easily laugh and potentially mm -hmm. even laugh out as diplomatic and, and as polite as I try to be, just laugh right out loud if someone were to suggest it to me back then. No kidding. Yeah, you know. Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey folks, welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm your host, Chris Doris, and our guest today is named Joe Trevers. I was introduced to Joe very recently, like within the last two weeks. I made an inquiry on Facebook about finding someone to help me with my own uh, video blog slash podcast, how to not just promote mine, but also to be a guest on other people's. And Joe was uh, recommended to me in response to that inquiry. So we, we got on the phone and, and as I was, we were just getting to know each other. And as I was listening to him, I realized this dude is fascinating. He is a former, he's a mindset coach. That's what he refers to himself as now, a mindset coach. He's also a public speaker. And what he speaks on is the following, his experience with trauma, having been traumatized. For 12 years, he was, um, he worked in EMS, emergency medical services, and as a fireman. And uh, his first calls for both of those jobs were teenage fatalities and you know, and so for the next 12 years, you know, he, he's, he endured severe trauma. He's, he's a badass and um, he has amazing stories. I, was, I noticed that I was mesmerized. I was like in rapture as I was listening to him when we first met. So I asked him, dude, would you please be on the show? Because you have like, so, you've done so much work on yourself to, to heal himself. He has a new, a really cool way of thinking of, um, of viewing and redefining trauma, or actually not that, uh, pathology, really, right? And, uh, and I, I know that you're, <laughs> I can't wait to hear his stories today. Uh, I, I know you're gonna be fascinated with this guy. So uh, um, let's go find him, he's here, he's waiting. Let's see where he is. And there he is, Joe Travers, my man. Thank you so much for making time for us at Tough Talks today, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, naturally. So, you know, it's funny because we, we just met, really. Uh, I guess it was maybe even just a week ago or a week, a week and a half. Yeah, and, and, and we were, the reason we connected was it's about podcasting. All right. And, uh, I was introduced to you from, by a guy on Facebook named Mark Mawinney of the coaching jungle. He recommended you because I was making an inquiry about, um, getting on podcasts and, and learning about expanding this tough talks, you know, my life growing, growing it. <clears throat> and that was the nature of our conversation. But as soon as we got on the phone, we just started getting to know each other. And I'm listening to you and I'm going, holy shit, this guy is fascinating. <laughs> like, first of all, you know, you call yourself uh, a, a mindset coach. So I totally want to hear about that in a second. 
naturally. Nah. And um, but in the context of our conversation, you had also talked about PTSD. And I asked about, uh, you know, with permission, I asked <clears throat> if it's cool with you, like, what, what's the trauma? And, and you shared it with me. And, and that, I think, is really what I'd love to talk to you about today. Sure. Okay? And because naturally, the, the, the purpose of Tough Talks is to inform, first of all, people that A, there's something you can do to strengthen the way you use your mind in the first damn place. And then B, is hopefully give people with each interview something from your experience to guess of a, a practical application, something like a practice, a thing, something that people can do to strengthen their minds to help their lives be better, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so let's start with the mindset coach terminology. Uh, what? Tell us about that. I really don't even know what to tell you about it. Uh, it sort of came out of a, a form of necessity, if you will. I mean, I've been, I've been talking, I've been out there, you know, coaching, if you will, people, yeah. you know, helping people, whether it's growing their business or working on their mindset as an entrepreneur or working with some mindfulness stuff or trying to help people with grounding or meditation. I mean, there are all these different things, as you know, that are all very valid and important parts of the industry or the niche or, you know, the yeah. fault, if you will. Uh, and so, so you use guess, meditation. And so, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, but I'm not sorry because I'm probably going to do it 50 times. And the reason is this: the reason is this, Joe, is that you already just said a mouthful. And yeah. I like to in these interviews, I really love to slow it down. When I hear um, you say something that I think would be of use, like I, during these interviews, I am so focused on what can the listener slash viewer get out of this. Love it. You already just dropped some bombs there. So you, so you actually integrate meditation as a technique in your coaching? Absolutely do. If, if a client is willing and if I feel that it's the right time for them, mm -hmm. okay? And what I mean by that is, you know, as you and I talked a week and a half ago, as you were yeah. saying you know, on that, in that inaugural meeting, for me, it wasn't the right time even four years ago when I was diagnosed with, you know, my PTSD and ADHD. So meditation at that point was something that I would easily laugh and potentially mm -hmm. even laugh out as diplomatic and, and as polite as I try to be, just laugh right out loud if someone were to suggest it to me back then. No kidding. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I think maybe it was part of that harder exterior that I had grown up with. Um, <clears throat> I won't say it was necessarily because of my religious beliefs or, or any other non-beliefs. I think it was just... Uh, a hardening, if you will, which was, I see now a coping mechanism, right, that most of us employ uh, over the years, you know, with 12 years of firing EMS and, and other things I had experienced in my life, it became part of me. So to imagine, first of all, that I would ever uh, allow myself to be, quote unquote, weak enough to sit and mm -hmm. try to go inside my own mind or my own thoughts was preposterous. That's uh, a fascinating way of putting it. Yeah. And, th yeah. and then the second part of it for me was, with the ADHD, I didn't know at that time, I wasn't officially diagnosed, but what I knew was my mind didn't ever rest. So how would I ever be able to go sit somewhere, cross my legs and hum to myself, which is, you know, my interpretation of meditation at the time, right? So what is, so how do you meditate nowadays? Typically, I, I still use a guided meditation. I will admit that because, and I want to admit it and I want to promote it because so many people will try meditation in its, more traditional sense of sitting quietly and, and, you know, emptying or freeing or, you know, moving away from any thoughts. And if they can't quote unquote, get it right the first time they leave it and they don't ever come back to it. 
uh, it was a very close friend of mine. She's a, a Reiki master, a yoga instructor. Uh, you know, Candace had said to me numerous times, we need to get you meditating. And this was after my diagnosis. And she saw it as a way of being able to kind of slow me down. Uh, and I said, look, no, it's not going to happen. And we, and we went around this for who knows, maybe a year and a half. And finally, she said, listen, just you're on YouTube, you're online all the time. A lot of the work you do, you know, involves internet. Just go to YouTube and listen to this guy. And she gave me the name. Uh, Michael Seeley was who I had first listened to. For Michael guiding. who? Michael Seeley, S-E-E-L-E-Y. And he's got, you know, tons of guided meditation for various things online. I went and I listened to it and I thought this is going to be ridiculous. But you know what? You're such a close friend of mine. I will give you whatever time it takes. I was assuming it was like five or ten minutes. The first one that she sent me, I think, was about maybe 30, 35 minutes. And I sat down and I started listening to it. And, you know, there's that first five minutes where everything is just kind of weird. And you're kind of thinking, this is bizarre. Um, I still think, you know, any minute the dog's going to bark and I'm going to, you know, have to go figure out what he's doing or the phone's going to ring anyway. And I'm like, well, okay, look, no, you know what? I'll turn the phone off. And so I did. Uh, and I just laid there, man. And, and that 30 minutes in the end went by like a snap. Uh, and I felt kind of different after it. I, I, you know, it wasn't this big miraculous thing or it wasn't, you know, there weren't all these revelations or all of these, you know, you wait, <clears throat> you're saying that you did not find enlightenment after an right? entire meditation. After 30 session? Minutes? Obviously you suck at it. Right. That's the first thing I thought. <laughs> I thought all right. Well, we won't do this. I'm anymore. no good at this. This was, this was a huge waste <laughs> of my time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I said, all right, well, here I am, you know, 40, what would I have been? Maybe 46 at the time. It was probably about two years ago. And I thought, you know what, um, I may circle back to this, but I'm going to ask her about it. And she sort of gave me that same reaction when I, uh, you know, and, and, and look, my sarcasm is about as thick as anybody's. So she gave it right back to me and, uh, and, and something similar to what you just said. So we decided that we would try it again a couple of days later. Uh, and since then, I mean, now I, I meditate daily, if not multiple times a day, and in, in a variety of different manners and with different I don't want to say uh, goals in mind because I mean, meditation really shouldn't be about goals, but, but I, I'll go into it with certain mindfulness, if you will. Well, well look, if it's uh, not about goals, right? then, then let me just ask you very simply, then why, yeah. I, what do you do it for? For me, it's uh, to slow my mind down and to try to kind of recapture my thoughts. And I know a lot of people will promote, you know, meditation as a way to empty thoughts. For me, I actually use it to kind of refocus and to, and to gather my thoughts, if you will, mm. and then slow all this down because this travels at about a million miles a minute. You know, you know that we've talked on the phone where, yeah. you know, no one would ever transcribe my conversations. Right. And so this is, this is a way for me to be able to kind of gather back up uh, I do some nighttime meditation where I'm sleeping, right? They, they talk sleep meditation. Um, I thought that was a farce. Absolutely. You know, that was one of her next steps after she and I finally got me doing some regular daytime stuff. Yeah. I thought, well, if I'm asleep, I'll never hear it anyway. What's the difference? Uh, so I did some study on that, right? And, and tried to understand different points of view around, you know, our consciousness and in our unconsciousness and as we're sleeping and what we hear yeah. and what we don't hear. Uh, you know, and I employ that now as well, so. Cool. Well, so you mentioned that it was your friend who's a Reiki, uh, right. a Reiki what? A Reiki master. I master. Yeah, I thought that's yeah. what you said. A Reiki yeah. master. Right. So, um, <clears throat> can you explain to folks what that actually even means? No. Okay. Thank um, you very much for that. <laughs> Jeez. Look, move so around. To <laughs> this is going to be a great interview for your yeah. for your listeners. <laughs> she uh, ultimately she works in energy. 
okay. you know, and, and Reiki is, is a, a form of um, transference and maybe redirection of energy, I believe, in its, in its core. Uh, so it's a matter of, I'll tell you what happens, you know, I lay down on a, on a, on a bed type thing, picture a massage table type scenario. Yeah. Uh, you know, I might have some oils or something that she gives me. She wants me to breathe in, you know, maybe some rosemary or jasmine or whatever it might happen to be, depending on what we're working on. Huh. Uh, and then huh. they go to work on your, on your chakras, which for some people is completely, you know, woo woo and out there. Uh, and for, and for me being, you know, I mean, my two main questions and almost everything I do are what if and why not. Uh, so you know what, for me, it was like 15, 30 minutes. What if, great. What if, what if, what if, in this case, what if what? What if it changes my energy? What if it helps me somehow? What if thousands of years huh. of people understanding chakra and energy is actually real and some farmhand from, you know, Barnaby River, New Brunswick really doesn't know more than they do and there's actually something to this. So, you know, I gave her that first 15 minutes, you know, years ago and, uh, and, and she went to work on this, this energy, right? This That's really fascinating. So, <clears throat> so you were... Um... Uh, among other things, well, you're, you're a farmhand, you're you, born and raised on a farm, but, but later you became, you, you worked in EMS and firefighting. Right. And you said that you would have, you made fun of things like meditation. So oh, I presume, Okay. So I presume you would also make fun of this energy healing nonsense. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you're going to wave your hands slowly over my body and somehow, somehow I'm going to be better. But yeah, now I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here, Joe. <clears throat> but yeah, you still operated. Did you always operate from uh, these questions? And I love it, by the way, the what if and why not. I think that's fascinating. No. I wrote that. No. So that's also new? That's not, not as new, but newer in my life. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say, you know, maybe 15, 20 years, you know, but certainly not from birth. Okay. Well, but yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, so I wrote that down. That, that's definitely a takeaway for folks today. What if and why not? Those are great questions. Well, they're two amazingly open questions, which allow us to have so much more out of everything that we think we know, right? Or everything that we think we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. You know, what if? What if it's not meant to be that way? What if that could change? What if you could do something about it? And then the why not is, well, why not you, right? That's, and that's always one of the biggest ones. There are a ton of different why nots, but it's always, well, why not you, right? Well, no, I can't, I can't be that person who stays at home with my kids and still manages to make a living, or I can't be the one who, you know, runs the United States of America, or I can't be the one who does mm. anything. He's like, why not? Why not you? Aside mm. from what's in your own head, why not you? Right? And we know that, that. we work on this all the time. That's, that's powerful. <clears throat> that's really beautiful because uh, so much of the work that I do as a mental coach or as a mindset coach mm -hmm. is about unlearning. All right, it's unlearning. It's unlearning the bullshit that would have me believe, yeah. why not me? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> right, like that I don't have access to what it is that I want. Right. That I and am not qualified. Or, yeah. It so, is. So, okay, so, yeah, I love that. So why not? Why not me? That's powerful. Good deal. Everything that we think we know right now uh -huh. is because we read it or we heard it, right? Okay. Some of it we've experienced. Mm -hmm. Right. Some of my fire experience or my, you know, ambulance experience or, you know, operating farm equipment on a tiny little farm in a small little place in, you know, on the East coast of Canada was because I was there and I learned it through my experiences. But otherwise we've all read a book, right? We've all read a manual. We've all read 
you know, something in school or someone has told us, right? I'm a parent. My kids are only eight and four, although I'm 48. And, you know, some days now I question almost anything that I tell my kids because of the work I do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think back, you know, and God love my parents. They did an amazing job and, and they did the very best job that they knew how to do based on what they were taught or what they made up as they went along, like most of us who are parents. Uh, but then at the same time, I stop and I think, well, you know, if I tell my son that, um, you know, how, how, how sure I am that that's real? How sure am I that it's going to set him up for his best opportunity to, to make his best steps, right? And to go somewhere in the world. It's all because someone else had an idea or a thought around how something should work. They wrote it in a book and then I learned it in school, right? Or somebody else told me. Well, what if that's not the only way, right? You read a manual to build a bookcase. Well, what if that's not the only way to build the bookcase? Hmm. Not always a great example because I've seen a lot of bookcases and they should have had help. But that's, that's quite possibly one of those things. Someone interpreted the best way to build that bookcase when they were, when they were designing it and they, they produced a manual and then we take it and we say, okay, this is the only way, right? And marriages almost fall apart because of that manual when it comes to building furniture together, hmm. right? So- hmm. What if there's a different way? And, and why not you to come up with it, right? I, I don't know that I could love that more. So, uh, so, that, so let's make this really practical for people. That's actually a great takeaway. Like, you know, that could be the thing that several people take away from this entire conversation, which is to, to get into the practice of interrupting ourselves, right? During our thinking process throughout the day, just getting into the habit of asking ourselves what if and why not, especially I, I presume in, in the moments really when we're entertaining whether or not we can have, be, or do something that we want, yeah. right? When we're when more, more specifically when we're entertaining, you know, that we can't. That we can't. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly right. And that's the biggest part, right? That's the biggest part of why people talk to guys like you and I, right? They, they look for people who they feel maybe that interrupter of sorts. Uh, and, and it's because they've tried to do something and they can't figure out why they can't. And quite often the reason they can't is because they don't believe they can. Or more importantly, they believe they can't, right? You know, the Henry Ford thing, right? So whether you think yeah. you can or think you can't, you're right. Well, you know what? If there's so much truth to that, but we can now take that so much further in understanding that it doesn't always have to be the exact way that someone else has told us it has to be in order for it to be, right? So if you're going to take a top earner in sales and you're going to break down, like you say, I mean, what you do is you break down a lot of their, their, you know, their, their bad habits and misbeliefs and all of the things that you have to do to try to take it out of them in order to make them the best that there is in their field out there. Well, obviously a lot of what you do is help them understand that it can be them right? And that it deserves to be them and that they can actually do it. Otherwise, they might just as yeah. well get up and leave the room, right? If you're not going to be able to connect with them on that, on that mm -hmm. level, uh, to have them believe that it should be them or it could be them, at least get to the point where it can be me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll work on that it will be you. Uh, you that, know, I like that. Right? Um, you know, mm -hmm. because not everybody, not everybody can go from here to there, right? I can jump out of a fire truck and, you know, and, and head into a burning building. Well, some people need to jump out of the fire truck and, you know, maybe assess the situation smart. Uh, and then some people might need to do this and do this and do this. Right. So we need to be able to kind of connect with people on their level about that. And, and that's a lot of, yeah. it's a lot of what I think the mindset stuff 
also does for people is it allows us to step with some versus just going right to the, hey, you can be the best of the best. And if not, you know, then don't buy my, my book or my show or my course or my whatever. Don't come yeah. to my seminar because you need to be the best of the best. Well, we also need to step back and say, all right, well, what steps can we take to get them to that level if they want to be there? Mm -hmm. And the best of the best is different for everybody. And that's the other thing that I struggle with in this industry. But now I'm getting way off onto another show. But Well, well all right. I'll redirect. I'm happy to do that. I want to hear about your you trauma. If you're, willing, if you're willing to share with us. Yeah. You know, because, because that's the first thing that really caught my attention when we spoke. Uh, you, know, you, just, you said um, you were diagnosed with both ADHD as well as um, PTSD, which for those right. of you that don't know, ADHD, I think everybody probably at this point knows what that is because I think you know it wasn't that long ago and it may still be true that it's, it was the most over-diagnosed I believe so. Um, diag clinical diagnosis ever. Yes. Um, my argument is that all of us have a very, everyone has ADD. And that's just a way of putting it. It's like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or without the H, ADD, attention deficit disorder. Everybody falls on the scale with varying degrees of attentional focusing skills. Uh, but the other diagnosis was PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And are, are you willing to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, about, sure. Absolutely. About the T and the PTSD, what the trauma was. <laughs> And, yeah, and, and then and no what you did with know. it and how maybe, sorry? Yeah, no, carry on, sorry. Yeah, so yeah, what's the T, the trauma right. in PTSD, and what, what did you do about it? And, and does that experience have much at all or everything uh, to do with why you're choosing to use your life now as a mindset coach? Mm -hmm. So the trauma is probably something that we won't ever know uh, except in its generalized sense of okay. 12 years of combined or 12 combined years of fire and EMS. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the fact that, you know, my very first fire call or very first ambulance call, because ambulance came first in my life. Uh, my very first ambulance call was, was ultimately a fatality of a, of a young teen, uh, you know, and it was, it was, right. uh, nearing Christmas time and there were, you know, gifts and all sorts of stuff all over the road. And, uh, you know, we should probably put a trigger warning up there, I guess, uh, if, if anybody, you know, does suffer from PTSD before I talk a lot about this, but, and I'll, I'll keep the details light, but, but that was my first ambulance call. And, and then my very first fire call, uh, was the same thing. And, and ultimately, you know, or ironically or coincidentally, I was suffering from food, uh, food poisoning, we think. Uh, and in the midst of all that, uh, was, was basically on my first shift. And, uh, and the very first call that I rolled on was, uh, was a fatality of a teen as well. Uh, both car accidents, the varying circumstances, but, uh, but so when you take 12 years of that mm. and you put it into a mind, as I know now, you know, I was, I was tough as nails. I was a hard ass. I was kind of one of those guys who, when the calls were really bad, mm. um, if I was on scene, I was going in. Right. If it was a really bad fatality, but I was on scene, I was going in, you know, it was just because I was that guy, right. They knew, mm. uh, and I didn't drink, I didn't gamble. I didn't beat my spouse. I didn't do any of those things that, that people have always looked at trauma or sufferers of trauma, you know, stereotypically do all of these things. Well, I wasn't doing any of that. Um, 
I also didn't realize, though, how hard my life had become in, in two senses, you know, hard mentally, mm-hmm. right, that, that I was struggling every day, but I was also fighting it every day. And I was, again, I was that, that cold, hard ass, you know, I could, you want me to go into a sales meeting, I'll go into a sales meeting, you want me to tell everybody that, you know, they're a bunch of losers, and they're not getting their steak knives and stuff unless they do this or do that. Yeah, you know what, I could do that. I could also train them how to sell, but then I could also do that. And then I could walk out of the room. I go to bed and sleep very well at night thinking, well, I did my job. It's too bad that they just don't know theirs. But then at the same time, you know, three days later, I might be finding some guilt around that. And I couldn't really come to terms with what was going on there. Hmm. Um, But then at the same time in my life, I was, I was a hundred miles a minute. You know, there were all of these things going on. I was really good at responding right to fires and, you know, and, and ambulance work. And I mean, those were things that I could very quickly assess situations and wasn't always able to tell, you know, why, why can I put these together really quick? Why can I come up with that puzzle really quick? Um, But now that I'm out of it and I'm just experiencing everyday life, you know, when I'm back in, you know, still doing some banking stuff and some real estate stuff and investments and, you know, mortgages and whatever. um, Why is it that I remember every call and why is it they're so vivid? Right. So if I'm talking to, you know, Chris and he's like, Hey, you know, what's the worst call you were ever on, which is absolutely the very worst question you can ever ask someone, uh, you know, who was a first responder. Especially, oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Especially if they're suffering from trauma, because most often it, it instantly brings back the memories. And for someone like me with the, I hate to say type, and I, but admittedly, I haven't researched it enough, the ADHD side of me, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to understand why. But they, they, they had the first uh, psychologist had called it, you know, he, he kind of did his quotes and he said, high intellect ADHD, which was my memory uh, is extremely good. I can remember conversations from 40 years ago, 30 years ago, almost verbatim. Can't remember to pick up milk on the way home. Uh, and then you throw numbers at me and I can probably do them faster in my head than my wife, who's a banker can do them on her calculator, you know, or on her app or whatever. Um, but one of the other things is I can eat something in a restaurant and I can come away with it and say, all right, I know what was in that. I'm going to make that tonight at home. Uh, I can taste it. I can smell, I can, and and my mind just puts together. I know exactly what was in all that. So the challenge with that was all of a sudden this trauma means that I'm, you know, I'm smelling car accidents, you know, which is, you know, breaks and fluids and smoke and steam and blood and, you know, and whatever you can smell, right? The iron and whatever. Um, you can taste it, you know, what's in the air, you can hear it. Um, and so what was, what was starting to happen was we had kids. Yeah. My wife and I were going along life and, and all of a sudden these kids entered our world, right? So I'm 40 and I'm having, I'm having a, a newborn. And the very first time I held my son, uh, which was, you know, uh, I almost delivered him in the hospital because the, the doctor who was on call, it was a holiday weekend, July holiday weekend. And the doctor who was uh, there was responding to an emergency C-section. So of course the nurses are trained and have delivered almost more babies than doctors have. Uh, but I kept telling the nurse that I was, I was available. I was trained, <laughs> had been certified at one time. Mm. And if she wanted me to help much to, you know, the chagrin of my wife who kept telling me to stop asking, <laughs> um, you know, I was willing to help. So it got to the point where, where Holden, our son, was, was arriving literally any second, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, we were in all the positions we needed to be in. And she finally said, you know what, okay, fine, grab some gloves. 
and so I was reaching back to the box to grab the gloves that were right because I had already scoped it where they were. And, uh, and the, uh, the, the OBGYN bust in through the door, struck her head on the lamp, and, uh, and then got right to business. So I, I was yeah. that close to delivering her son. But right. when I first held him, I had this overwhelming flood of emotions that I hadn't, well, I'd only had once in my life and it wasn't a flood. It was when my grandfather died, who was my idol. Uh, and my wife and I have now been together 21 years. So let's say, you know, four years ago I was diagnosed and eight years ago our son was born. So, you know, we had been together, let's say 12, 13 years before our son was born. And she'd only seen me cry once, literally once. And it was when the news came that my grandfather died and we were, we were, I was showering because we were about to drive the two hours to go see him. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, all of a sudden this flood comes. I don't know what's going on. My body is shaking. There are all these things happening. The nurse is trying to tell me it's okay. I'm trying to stop myself because I'm thinking I've completely lost it, right? I'm completely off my nut now. Where's all this coming from? Uh, and they- What, what know, kind of tears? When you say you're crying, you, this, oh, these were not tears of joy? I didn't know. I had okay. no idea. Uh -huh. Ultimately now, I think it was a mix of probably tears of joy and tears of, of just a complete exhaustion now, just a mm. relief. Mm. Right. Oh, okay. You know, maybe forty years of wow. built-up trauma and all sorts of different things, and holding back tears wow. at yeah, all yeah, costs yeah. because that's yeah. how I was. You know, that's how I was growing up. Right. Mm. No tears. You don't do that. And it was part mm. of what a lot of us guys were raised with. Yeah. You know, which is which is kind of part of you know the challenges in society now. Which yeah. you know, was, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out and cry all the time, but if you feel you need to cry, have a cry. Right. So. Anyway, this was all coming out. And, and so then, you know, we went along for four years, but I was noticing at home that little things, when he would scream a certain way, when he was, you know, three months old or, you know, six days old, uh, I would almost get chills a little bit. And I was like, well, that's weird. And then I might notice that my forehead was a little damp, right? Come through all my hair. Uh, and, and so I would say, you know, what, what's that all about? I don't understand. Is it just, is, does every dad go through this? Is it just because, you know, I'm stressed out about having, another life to look after now. And I've, you know, for 12 years I had lives to look at, I don't know. Uh, and then my daughter came along and when she started to scream, it was different. And all of a sudden I was starting to get flashbacks of, of calls, wow. right? Calls, calls with kids, right? Certain pitches, uh, you know, kids on the side of the road in the middle of the night screaming and crying because, you know, something's happened to their parents and we're working on their parents. And, but, but off in the distance, cause you're always aware, um, you can hear that. And all of a sudden it's recalling, <laughs> situation. So, mm -hmm. so now I'm sweating a lot more, you know, and now I'm, I'm having all these weird, you know, almost palpitations. I, you know, there are all these things going on and I'm like, what the hell? Uh, so I was in a, I was in a corporate gig, uh, working some finance stuff, pulling, you know, long 12 and 14 hour days, uh, you know, sometimes six and seven days a week, uh, trying to make some big money. And I've always chased money. It was always a thing for me. Um, and, uh, and, and one morning I just, uh, that was it, right. I drove out of the driveway was driving my brand new uh, Ford Explorer, which was, you know, probably $30,000 more expensive than anything I should have been driving, but I loved it. It was great. And I got a deal on it because I was part in finance with some, with some car dealership stuff. And, uh, and I couldn't get my phone to work on the hands-free and a client was trying to call me and she called twice and I couldn't get to her because it was, you know, and I'm a big believer in, you know, use your hands free or don't talk on the phone when you're driving. Right. I've picked up too many people on the side mm -hmm. of the road otherwise. Wow. And, uh, and I get less than half a kilometer away from the house. And, uh, and all of a sudden as I'm screwing with the dash and thinking, all right, I got to pull over up here to, to fix this, or I got to shut my phone off. because It's going to drive me crazy. Um, I look up and there's an RCMP officer, so, which is, you know, our Canadian police, yep. uh, federal police. 
sitting on the side of the road where I was going to pull in to try to fix the truck. And he waits for me to get there and puts his lights on. And, and I was doing, I think, like eight kilometers over or whatever it was over the speed limit in, in like, you know, right from my house. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was a little bit of a downhill grade. You know, there are all the excuses, right? I was paying attention to the dash is the bottom line. I wasn't paying attention to the speedometer. And the funny thing was, though, that that was it him pulling me over and I would, you know, I would never obviously have wanted it to be his fault. It was a series of my life, but I left him. He gave me a warning, written warning, but he gave me a warning, no fine. Uh, we talked about the Explorer because the police agencies were starting to buy these. This was four years ago and they were starting to incorporate these in because the twin turbochargers and stuff, they didn't need to buy the big <laughs> I drive away from him. I drive about four or five kilometers away from him to where our hydroelectric dam is. Uh, and, uh, and I look at the green that kind of goes off uh, over the hydroelectric dam and uh, and and uh, ACDC came on the radio and in this big amped up stereo system that was in this truck I just in that moment all four windows went down and I thought to myself this is it I'm jumping this right off this dam um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out with a song that I absolutely love like Thunderstruck was playing and I'm, I don't know if we'll have to pay rights now for me mentioning the song uh, but we're you know I'm gonna launch this this sixty five sixty eight thousand dollar vehicle off this hydroelectric dam and uh, and that's gonna be it you know I've I've done my stuff uh, I'll try to pull a Costanza and go out on a semi high and uh, you know and, and and that's it and and so I immediately though and this is where they say the ADHD kicked in. I immediately started to rationalize um, the fact that my retired mother was here at our house two hours from her house looking after our kids that day because my wife was on a business trip to Toronto mm -hmm. uh, where the bank needed her for three days. She's in senior management and so on. And, and so she went back from attorney leave, uh, you know, on that day to, to attend these meetings. So I thought, all right, so the RCMP are going to show up at the house. My mother's going to be holding our one-year-old daughter, you know, our, our three-year-old, our four-year-old son's going to be there or at daycare, um, you know, my retired mother's going to have to hear that her eldest son, you know, just killed himself. My wife's going to have to try to find a flight back. That's going to be stressful for her. She's going to have to try to come back to her kids with the stress of that plus the stress of me, you know, all the stuff. And all these things are going through my mind only in the amount of time it took for the car behind me to blow the horn at the fact that I was still sitting at the stop sign and they wanted to get to their mindless job wow. earlier, right? And I went, holy, basically, right? And I turned the music down a little bit and I drove off and then I got to work and then I couldn't stop crying and I cried for about four hours in wow. my office wow. cried and I'm talking not even no offense to you know God love him my, my idol my grandfather not even like that kind of crying from years before I'm talking I couldn't control it I would hear somebody walking down the, the hall and I'd have to try to turn around to my to my back credenza to make it look like I was doing something so they yeah. couldn't that I actually couldn't stop crying so I called this intake number thing. They got me to go to the hospital. They wanted to send ambulances and do all that. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not me. You don't know me. That's not me. I'll drive to wherever. Oh, we don't want you driving. You could be a danger to yourself or others. I'm like, oh, bullshit. I'll get there. And so I drove to the hospital. Uh, and this was where, this is where, where I am today, or part of where I am today and why I speak comes from all of this. And this is absolutely no offense. This is what these people have been taught to do, right? And I have amazing respect for everything they do every day just from my little side of fire and EMS to see what nurses and doctors and staffers have to do in, in hospitals and so on. Mm. This is nothing, no slight to them. But when I walked in, mental health had already called to say, we've got a psychologist on route. The on-call psychologist uh, is on route. Uh, you know, we have someone who, you know, almost committed suicide this morning. Um, you know, we need him to be seen right away. 
Um, he's on his way. Here's who it is, you know, so on and so forth. And as I walked in, she says, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, we got a call. Um, she's like, okay, so you can head out to the waiting room. Uh, we don't know when they'll be here or what's going on, but, you know, somebody will be here to look after you. We've got a lot of people here and something, something. And I said, well, I said, all right. Now, I still had tears running, and I'm standing in a suit, right, in the tie and the French cuffs on my shirt. You know, I'm, I'm dressed fairly well, and I'm like, I'm going to go sit in a waiting room crying with a bunch of other people coughing and vomiting and, you know, broken legs and arms and splints and what. And so I said, is there somewhere I can, and she said, we have people who are actually sick here. I don't know what to tell you. Wow. Those are her exact words, right? Wow. We have people who are actually <clears throat> sick here. I don't know what to <clears throat> tell you. <clears throat> and that was my first introduction to holy shit balls. Like we've got, we've got some serious issues when it comes to mental health and how we treat and how we help people. Right. <clears throat> uh, so I almost walked out and that would have, who knows where the story would have been. You and I almost may, might certainly not, if you didn't believe in, in, right, right. in the universe, we wouldn't be talking, but so skip ahead to the fact that, you know, as soon as he saw me, he was like, you know, ADHD, PTSD, then they ended up having a team. I call myself the Colgate of uh, mental health or PTSD because four out of five believe that I have it. Um, they had me see five over a period of a year and a half. Uh, but I chose not to use meds because my upbringing and then my fire and EMS days and so on, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't come to terms with being a little bit out of touch even you know, not being a hundred percent reactive. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure. So I, I tested one. I told them I would give them a month. They asked me for three. I think we made it about a month and a half and I gave up. Uh, and I, I in any way and every way suggest that if someone is suggested, uh, you know, something like that, prescribe something to help them, uh, especially if it's in the short term, you know, please don't ever listen to somebody like me and say, don't do it, do what's best for you. And I tell people that all the time, right? There are always things we can do later as long as we can get you to later. So if the meds help you get to later, then please do them. Hmm. Uh, but, but for me, it was a personal choice and I, and I chose not to. So then I had to go on a, on a, on a you know, seek and find kind of mission to, to see how do we do this, right? What's going on in my head that I can change myself uh, or is there a way I can change myself? And at that point, I still wasn't sure I could, right? I had a lot of belief in myself, but I also was the guy who was about to jump the dam. So how much belief did I have hmm. or, what, or what was holding me back or what was causing these issues? Yeah. So I, you know, I went on, I, I mean, this was four years ago, uh, well, almost exactly, because it was October 23rd, 2015. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the first two years or so was really about doing research, researching PTSD, researching ADHD, you know, finding out that it was a strength for me, you know, because people would say, well, it's not a strength. You can't work in an office. You know, you can't do your paperwork. Mm -hmm. uh, you never have reports on time. Well, bullshit. Who says that's not a strength? What if, why also, not? I can also talk you. I can also think you. I can also do math faster than you. You know, I can put puzzles together, you know, split, you know, 10 riddles my way. I can get at least nine of them before you've gotten the first one. You know, I mean, I sound like I'm bragging, but what I'm saying oh, is- Oh, do it, please. You know, there, that's, there, because that's, there you go. That's yeah, a huge paradigm that, shift, is right? Well, from a disability yes. to an ability. Right. And there's a buddy of mine, Sean Smith, and he's the don't diss my ability guy. He, oh. he is, uh, you know, he's, he's got degrees, a bunch of them, you know, uh, in psychology and a lot of things that, you know, I try not to talk to him at this level. I never I'm, heard I'm that. I love that phrase. Don't diss my ability. Yeah, man. Look him up. He's, he's really cool. He's, you know, he's been on stage with Temple Grandin and he's talked, you know, at some of the universities around psychology and neuroscience and stuff. And, uh, and, and he's really cool. And, and, you know, when he and I started talking, we were introduced by a, a mutual friend of ours who said, you know what, you guys are on the same page, you need to be talking. And yeah. he was diagnosed late, late in life with ADHD as well. And, and he also turned it into a strength by understanding, you know, what's going on in here is a strength here. 
And it's kind you know of what, what I, you're reminding me of. This is fascinating. I hadn't thought about this in a very long time. And, and um, I, I started my career as a clinical social worker working right. with chronic schizophrenics. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, so I started studying schizophrenia because it is a very fascinating circumstance. It's a right. fascinating phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even want to call it a dis-ease <clears throat> because right. in other cultures, uh, so I, I visited, I went to South Africa several years ago and visited with a shaman mm-hmm. who is called, goes by the term Sangoma. And um, maybe the smartest person I've ever met in my life. Right. And we sat and they, you know, they go out, the Sangoma trains in, um, in nature. Right. It's been seven years apprenticing and nature is the teacher. So I'm sitting in this hut with this wizard Mm-hmm. Right, and there's literally potions and bones and feathers, and it's like what in the actual, yeah. and uh, and this person was telling me that in in Western culture, you know, we treat the event of of schizophrenia with pure pathology, right? Right, where in many other cultures they are the shamans, right? Where someone who has that experience has an ability to experience reality in a way that most of us cannot. Right. Right. And, but because of the pathological approach that is, that, that everyone's in agreement on, then the person with the ability then buys into the belief that they are disabled and then uh, fulfill that. And we did that. And we did that. And we did that, right? The modern culture did that. You, th- you think about the mindfulness, involved in in believing or being aware enough of of your surroundings and everything that's going on that that in one culture mm. someone like that yeah like they would go to them for guidance yes they're going to them for guidance and then over here we're putting them in a hospital and medicating this shit out of them yep. so they can't Doing even like keep their saliva in their mouth what else right over over these just this past you know recent hundred years right so and and so think about the mindset shift go from mindfulness to mindset think about the mindset shift that it would take in modern culture and society, especially in North America, mm. um, to be able to get people to ever buy into that. Mm. But what if? And I'm not saying turn everybody loose and let's just get out and cut all the meds and let's just see what happens and let it all play out. Right. I'm saying, what if we could harness some of this, right? So, and not to look, we should have brought, you're going to, eventually you're going to talk to Sean because, you know, somebody like Sean, what he's done is- Will he you say Sean's to, last name again? Yeah, Sean Smith. Don't oh, diss well, my okay. ability. Smith. And, 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 and Sean uh, spelled with an H or an E-A? Uh, S-H-A-W-N, yep. Okay. okay. So Thanks. with Sean, you know, he's talked to, he's got a very close friend who actually lives in the place that I'm originally from who has a, uh, a creative studio, right? They, they help produce cartoons, uh, you know, for television and so on. Mm-hmm. And he looks at, and Sean works primarily with, uh, with the parents of uh, children with autism who are on the spectrum, right? ADHD or autism and so on. Uh, and so, and I don't want to pigeonhole him, but that's a lot of what he does or his, a lot of his focus, but he can talk to his friend about, you know, uh, creativity. And when you look at some of these autistic kids who are coming up and their abilities, when it comes to creativity, right, give them a pencil or some markers and ask them to draw something or let them do what they're naturally amazing at. Yeah. What if we were doing more of that? And, and in the mindset work, I, I do. And, and look, I'm juvenile to it in the grand scheme of, you know, Tony Robbins career, let's say. Uh, but in the work that I've done with a lot of people so far, especially the entrepreneurs, 
they seem to always be quite surprised. Well, they're usually offended at first because I ask some really hard questions up front and a lot of them don't want to answer. Uh, and so then I give them the opportunity to either work with me or not, uh, and then they often answer. But then after those really hard questions are out of the way and some answers are starting to surface, because I believe we all have our own answers, then we can start to say, all right, well, listen, just because your entrepreneurial coach or mentor told you that it has to be this way, that you do this, this, and this. What if it could be a different way? And then again, why not you to show us a different way? Mm. And if, because if somebody says, you know, my bookkeeping skills are absolutely horrible, I can't add two plus two, and I can never be anywhere on time, well then why is your mentor and why are you allowing your mentor to push you so hard at spending the majority of your week over these next 12 weeks getting better at doing your taxes and your bookkeeping. No, screw that. You are absolutely the most amazing widget maker that there has ever been, mm -hmm. right? And if you make enough widgets, we can, we can have you overseeing someone who can do the bookkeeping. And that's not new. Joe Trevor's didn't come up with that, but we've lost sight of it, right? We've got all of these people out here who are saying, you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning if you're ever going to win. You have to do this if you're ever going to win. You have to well, what if my DNA is not that way? I've had some testing done on mine, moderate testing done on mine. Really? And, I, and I'm not supposed to be a guy who's up at 5 a.m. I do get up at 5.50 every morning, but I'm typically, my makeup is not the type of makeup that should be up at 5 a.m. And there are different things in my day that I've kind of restructured to help the PTSD, especially the mind and how I work through everything in the run of a day based on this is very exciting to me all of it because it's like you know so i after i told you about the clinical social work mm -hmm. and then i became a licensed therapist and i you know part of my career uh was to diagnose people mm -hmm. right and i would use this book and it's called the dsm which is a okay. diet familiar with it the diagnostic statistical manual okay and i think that they're in version eight at this point or something <clears throat> so it's a book full of all the clinical diagnoses and it's always growing. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. Oh, there's a new version, right? It was a DSM-3 when I started using it. And now it's, about a, it's at least five or six or seven or maybe even eight, which means that there's tons more. There's more diagnoses, diagnoses. And, right. and, and one of the things that I always want, yeah, now back earlier in our conversation, you, you referred to us, I think, as interrupters. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that down because what we're interrupting are faulty assumptions. And I don't want to operate from the assumption that this disability is that, <laughs> right? Because, right? Because what if? What if? <laughs> right? What if it isn't, right? What if it isn't? What, what if, if that's is? just an assumption? What, what if, if it's only the individual? What's that? What if it's just that individual even? You know, it doesn't have to be everyone. It doesn't have to fall under the whole thing. Mm. And there's so much of it that I, I just, and people often don't like talking to me about this stuff because I really don't have any hard beliefs around what should be or shouldn't be, except for the fact that I think it can be so individual to be or not be based on all of us. Well, I believe that every single one of us is designed for excellence, right? Sure. And um, well, I'm also, it, right? I'm also a big fan. Tell me if you've heard of this guy. And for those of you listening to the podcast, I'm holding up a copy of a book yes. by Dr. Bruce yeah. Lipton called The Absolutely. Biology of Belief. Are you familiar with this, Joe? I, not that particular writing, but, but Bruce Lipton, yes. I've watched a lot of his stuff. I'm more yeah. of an audible kind of guy, so yeah. I've listened to a lot okay. of his stuff. Yeah. 
So, so Bruce Lipton is an epigeneticist. I think he started the whole science of epigenetics, right? Which is an interesting term, epigenetics, because literally translated means above, like epidermis is the highest layer, outer layer of skin. Yes. Uh, so epigenetics is above genetics, and the and the belief is there that, and, and I don't maybe I shouldn't call it a belief because I I, I presume this is this is a hard science now. This a is science, just a yeah. philosophy. It's, right. So it it is the observation of the fact that. Uh, not even our genetic code is static, <clears throat> right? That we can, we alter, that's why it's called the biology of belief, is that our beliefs influence our bio, biology. I have no so, so here's right, here's a physician says, okay, well, you're PTSD and you're ADHD. Here's your drugs. Good luck, babe. Right. You will never get over it. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Add right. That because that's what was added when I saw all five. Well, that, even that language, you'll get over it. Right. <clears throat> Like, like it was something I, that I brought why on. Why would I need to get over a skill? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. You have unbelievable math skills, but you'll get over it. But you'll you, get over it. Your, un, your memory is impeccable, but you get over it. <clears throat> if you just take may, these I actually may as I get older, yes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, but no, no, you're absolutely right. And, and one of the things, you know, a lot of the work that, that he and a few of the others are doing is so solid in in that belief system, right? That like, like, like you're referring to Joe Dispenza. Yeah. Or, or um, I don't know who else. Yeah, no, and absolutely so. And when you look at a lot of their stuff, right. And a lot of their work and the whole belief system, I mean, again, you can go back thousands of years and see that this was being employed back then, right? If you believe you can, and if you understand, and if you're in touch with, and, and if you know yourself well enough, and, you know, can you help with physical ailments, you know, when you're, when you're believing that you can? And you know what? I believe that you can. And I believe that it's still in such an infancy stage and is so, so rejected by the masses so far that I don't know when it will finally be, you know, as acceptable as, you know, modern day medicine. But the funny thing is that, you know, I mean, and, and again, we've got about, we've talked about eight different show topics already, but, you know, when you talk about, uh, people who, you know, speak of uh, alternative medicine. Well, alternative medicine was the medicine for thousands and thousands of years, right? Alternative medicine should have been what came about about 100 years mm. ago. So, you know, when you, when you think backwards to all of those different things, why would we not feel that our mindset could help with any of this, right? Our minds, our guts, right? And the attachment between the mind, the mind body or the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the gut mind, right? And yeah. the mind and so on and, and all of the different things and the works that are out there. I think that for us to, for us to not believe that we can, you know, work on ourselves and heal ourselves and do all of these different things is preposterous. And that's what's holding us back from it. So if I had believed when they told me, you will never get over this, right? This is something now that's going to be part of your life. You know, you've had your breakdown. Uh, we're going to, we're going to suggest you medicate. Um, we're going to suggest you keep coming to, um, to weekly or biweekly sessions. The yeah. sessions, you know, by the way, for PTSD, are like marital sessions, which is you're going to come in and we're going to keep talking about it. So let's relive a whole bunch of your accident calls that you were on. And then, you know, eventually talking about it is going to get you over it. Mm. So I'd go back out every, every week and get into the Explorer and think, well, I'm not close enough to the dam, but holy hell, I need to end this. This is ridiculous. I'd sit and cry again for 15 minutes in the parking lot because of 
all of the calls that I had just, you know, recalled or all of the things that we talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. And they'd skip back and forth a little bit. You know, they would ask me a whole bunch of, you know, math or puzzle kind of questions and I'd be carrying on a conversation and I'd be twirling my glasses and clicking my pen. And they were like, yeah, that guy, that, that dude's definitely ADHD. He's doing four things at once and answering all of them with hundred percent accuracy. Um, but you know, then they, then we go into the PTSD stuff again and then I would go out in the parking lot and cry. So I had to believe that there was a way to get through this. So, you know, I, I, I've done a whole bunch of things. I've gone, you know, and taken some NLP training. Well, okay. Now let's slow down again. Okay. Yeah, let's sure. slow down right here. Cause this, this is where I, you know, this is exactly where I wanted us to go. I was just, yeah. you just seriously just read my mind. I always <laughs> circle back around. It might take me a while. I noticed that. And I love that about you. So uh, you're an amazing storyteller, by the way. Well, that's, maybe that's because what I, I mean, do. maybe you should write books, uh, <laughs> stories, because I'll tell you, like I, several times in this conversation, I've been totally in rapture, like the amount of detail that you include in your well, stories and you're an amazing tracker too. Cause you go off on a little tangent, but you always find your way back. So this is, I always find my way back. You're, Drop you always right find back. your way back. It's all, it's, <laughs> so it's fascinating to listen to you. Okay. So let's talk about what are the things and let's be specific for like with the listeners or the viewers in mind, yep. right? especially people who have experienced or are experiencing trauma mm -hmm. or re-experiencing trauma, right? Who have had that experience or are having it. Yes. What are the most powerful things you've ever done or, and that you do mm -hmm. that have the trauma be healed? Um, have it be normalized? Have it become simply experienced? I don't know. I'm, I'll put words in your mouth right now. Like what yeah. do you do about it? Sure. So I think, um, I think to start, you need to survive it, right? So we could okay. start there by saying, all right, look, just to survive this, what, what should someone be doing? Well, first and foremost, of course, if you or a caregiver can get you there, <laughs> go see a, 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 you know, a specialist, right? So go see your psychologist, your psychiatrist. I may not have had the absolute best experiences, but that shouldn't stop you from going. If in its infancy, it, it keeps you alive. And that's always, for me, that's always the very first thing, right? I'm on Facebook groups and people have me on lives and we do and we talk about PTSD stuff because I have talked specifically about that on shows uh, and appearances and people say, well, let's just, no, I, I, again, we're not all the same. So I always tell people, listen, the, the key is none of this other shit works if I can't keep you alive. Yeah. So you need to get out of the basement. You need to put the 40 down right? Mm -hmm. You need to put the gun down. Mm -hmm. You need to get out of the basement and get to see someone. So if a caregiver is listening and they can get somebody out there safely or whatever they have to do, get that person to help. From there, you know, maybe it's meds, maybe it's whatever to help you level things out. Maybe it's a, a you know, an extended stay somewhere. That's okay too, right? I think we need to recognize that those types of things are okay, right? Because you are not just quote unquote having a bad day. Mm -hmm. You have experienced trauma that while it was originally thought, you know, it was, it was a feeling, it was an emotion, it was a sense of all of these things, they're now showing in brain scans the way our brains actually change after mm. experiencing trauma. So let's park that and then say, okay, so you've gotten some help. What am I going to do from here? Maybe things have leveled out now. I've got some meds. I'm, I'm okay, at least to the point where I can function. Great. Now we need to start looking at things. If you can, and I'm, I probably will be all over the place with this, but a couple of things that I feel are key are understanding your triggers, right? And that may not always be immediate, but you can employ others to help you with that. You can talk to family members or close, close friends that you trust who've been around you a lot. 
who can maybe help you start to put together a list of your triggers and what and what really sets you off into a into a much stronger uh, PTSD kind of incident, right, or trauma incident. If you can do that, that's going to be perfect because then you're going to be able to set yourself up to know, you know, what should I avoid at least in the give short us a, term. Yeah, give us like two or three examples of triggers. Well, sure. Um, just loud places is the most common. That's loud a lot of that's places. probably yeah. So I mean, just going to a restaurant, people, you hmm. know, like my kids uh, would now. If I wasn't where I was in my mind right now, my kids are you know eight and four, right? When our daughters will turn five, they would know that daddy's not going with them to the restaurant, and they would want to know why. Right? Why is daddy not coming to the park with us? Why is daddy not coming to the restaurant with us? Fortunately, my kids don't have to ask that, but a lot of kids do have to ask that of their parents, right? Why is mommy not coming with us to the restaurant? Well, because there are a lot of loud noises at the restaurant. First of all, just the crowd talking, right? But then there's always going to be one person who sits immediately behind you in the booth who's got the loudest, wildest, wickedest laugh that just comes out of nowhere. There's going to be a plate that's going to drop and smash two tables over, right? A kid is going to suddenly scream out because they don't like something that they, you know, that they, mm -hmm. they were given or something that's whatever. And, you know, and the little child's not happy because you took the crayon away or something and they scream, well, maybe you were a first responder like I was, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you spent, you know, your most traumatic call was on scene on the side of a road where, you know, a child was hurt or a child just didn't have their mom gotcha. and couldn't understand why because they're three months so old. So loud places. So loud places is one of the most common, right? Mm -hmm. um, people close to you. It's a hard oh, you mean one. Like physical space? Yeah, physical space, right? And that's especially hard. Uh, you know, friends of mine who are military or ex-military, they 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 typically have and police, right? A lot of police, because of that's course that's that's a thing as it is, right? In policing, having somebody too close to you. But uh -huh. maybe their traumatic event might have been a hands-on type scenario. Yeah. You know, a call at three in the morning where they had no backup or who knows what, right? So there are different triggers like that. So sounds, okay. you know, smells, but there are so many. So understanding your triggers. So understanding your triggers is a thing because at least in the early days for me, understanding them was, it was enough to allow me to not be with them all the time, right? I could see situations coming. I could say, all right, no, listen, if we go to such and such a place, you know, I'm familiar with that place right next door is a fire hall. And if they start responding, it's going to be sirens and it's going to be whatever. And I, you know, I'll start to sweat and I could go a little tunnel vision and I could start shaking. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, so I avoided a lot of those as much I could in the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one. Mm -hmm. um, the meditation and stuff obviously is important for me to have people understand. And, and I don't care what type of meditation you employ. So I don't care if it's just trying to sit for five minutes without thinking about anything, or if it's doing a 45-minute guided meditation session with somebody that you find on YouTube. I really don't care. The idea is to be able to slow down and try to try to not be inside your head, right? And by not trying, um, you almost try. So it, it is a bit of a practice. It's a bit of a balance. Um, the other thing to remember is that meditation could be just going out and walking in the field or in the woods as long as your trauma isn't related to anything like that, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe you've got someone that you trust as the most trusted person in your life, you know, a spouse or a kid or a best friend. Uh, business partner, I don't know, but but maybe you can all go out and, and literally slip your shoes off and walk in the grass a little bit through a quiet space where there's nobody else mm -hmm. and do that for five minutes. And that may be enough without talking, right? That could be enough. Um, there are breathing exercises out there. You know, I did some study in 
what I would probably class as modern, the modern interpretation of Ho'oponopono. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I looked at that and I, I understood some, I won't get into it, but I understood that there was, you know, some related type of controversy between, you know, elders, you know, from, you know, from thousands or generations from thousands of years, you know, in, in this, uh, in this practice, which is a very sacred practice. And I didn't want to respect that any. So I'm always very careful and cautious to say that, you know, my study was in the modern interpretation of because it, it is ultimately a little different. But what it did for me, it, it's a name, a placeholder for me, because what it did for me was allowed me to understand a little bit of my connection as energy to, you know, God or the divine or the universe or whatever a person believes in. It doesn't matter, but we're all energy and we're all here. So whether God made us or whether, you know, the, the big boom made us or whatever made us in your beliefs, we are here and we are energy. So understanding that my mind can be shaped by trauma, then why can't it be fixed by, you know, the, the work, the, mm -hmm. the mindset work, the, the meditation, the breathing and so on. And it also gave me breathing. So one of the things that I mean, I helped somebody get on a plane here about a year ago who couldn't fly after a trauma. And I was quite open with them and said, I'm nobody to be trying to help you fly on an airplane. Like this is, you need some, you need some upper level help that I can't give you. And they said, yeah, but you know, you've done this. Just, just give me something. Can you give me anything? And I said, well, maybe if you get so worked up when you're in the airport and the terminal and you can't get on the plane and you're shaking and you're doing all these things, you're about to run into the bathroom to vomit. Have you ever tried breathing? Well, yeah, I'm breathing or I can't stand. I'm like, no, no, no. But have you tried some real breathing exercises? And one of the things that, you know, Ho'oponopono talked about was this, this four by 10 breathing where you're... Mm. You, you inhale for a count of 10, and then you yeah. hold for 10, and then you exhale yeah. for 10, and then you hold that for 10. And... Anyway, I got this guy to try it, and after he landed, he said, you'll never believe this, but the way I calmed down, I can't explain it. And all it did was it was just slowing down everything. Everything in his body, not just his mind, was slowing down because of this breathing, right? That it allowed him to refocus mentally, and, and it shifted his mindset, and he was able to get on the plane and go. So with trauma, people, mm. I say it's the same thing. You know, That's we, a big deal. I, I want to slow it down again just yeah, you know, for ahead. a second here <clears throat> because you're bringing up something. And there was a, a term for that exact four by 10. There's actually another name. There's probably several names for it. There probably is, yeah. So um, I just interviewed a woman who's in Bali. She's a, a holistic healer and she works with people. She's a holistic healing coach, wellness coach, holistic wellness coach, I think is the appropriate <laughs> term. And um, her name is Laura Bolton. And okay. she was describing that exact breath work. And, you know, she works with people on uh, strengthening mind, emotion, uh, body, nutrition, and spirituality. Yeah. She says, oh, those are her five. I mean, that's, a, that's amazing. Yeah. But she, she really, she talked a lot, actually, about exactly what you just said. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I want to slow it down so, so we can point out how easy is that? Right. You're talking about like, so I breathe in for a 10 count. Yeah. Don't pass out, but breathe into whatever's comfortable. Till I'm full. For 10. So just pace it out till 10. Hold yep. it. Hold it once you're full. Count to 10 in your mind. And then release it for 10, like over the 10. And then stay exhausted for the count of 10 again. And then start over if you need to. 
and do do 10 of those, do three of them, do whatever you need. That and alone it, is, is healing. It just brings you down. It slows everything down. It's awareness, and, right? Isn't that crazy? So we simple. would ever make, yes. Yeah. And I tried to would... see if I could trademark it and I can't, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, apparently it's been used for thousands of years. I couldn't trademark it. Um, but Just really, something as simple as, as mindful breathing. Right. Now, the challenge or the trick is always to be able to be mindful enough to employ that. Right. And Just that's remember to do it. Right. So, so I mean, if you're in the midst of a, of a true traumatic experience or a recall and, and you're really having a situation here, mm. then it's a pretty good chance you're not going to, but sharing yeah. this with people who spend the most time with you can really be great. Right. It can really be great because if, if I talk to my wife about this and my, say, Hey, how do you works, breathe? She can be with me. And as long as I'm not combative and I'm not physical with her, which happens in some extreme cases, of course, you know, she can be with me and say, Hey, listen, let's, let's talk about your breathing. Let's, let's breathe in. Let's, you know, do whatever. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's just kind of one of those, such a simple thing that can kind of bring everything down. Um, and great. it's funny that you mentioned her because those were a couple of the other things that I used for me. Um, you know, I'm about 40 pounds lighter than I was. Uh, probably still have about another 20 to 25 to go. But what I noticed was the more I got into this release of the trauma. So once I finally had my little day on October mm. 23rd, 2015, I was constantly craving sugars and craving carbs. You know, it was just nonstop. Like if mm. you could give me chips and potatoes and breads, you know, and then sprinkle sugar over all that shit and give me some <laughs> chocolate. Um, then, then I could sustain life for as long as my body would, you know, hold up. So a really close friend of mine, you know, Neil Birchall, he's, you know, he's one of these guys, he's been, you know, 20 plus years in the trenches, you know, PTSD, you know, himself and, you know, firefighter and all that stuff. But, but he's been a, a nutrition and a wellness guy. And he likes to call himself more a wellness guy because like me, he doesn't believe that, you know, in all the, the, you know, fit and, you know, lean and like all these other catch things that people use, he believes in overall wellness, which, you know, he and I have worked on some stuff together because it can't just be body. It can't just be mind. It needs to be both. So what I've argued over these four years, especially the past two years is that I could have seen 10 psychologists and psychiatrists and I could have done whatever they wanted and I could have used my breathing and I could have done all these things. But if I wasn't feeding my body with what it needed to be connected to my mind, it wouldn't matter. So I, yeah. need, you to put, I need you to put the 40 of, of whiskey down. I need you to put the bag of chips down. I need you to, you know, to put the chocolate bars down and, and get up off the couch when you need to try to figure out what's caused your drama and then how we're going to help you through it, right? Yeah. And so that's what I've said to people. If you can't have the body going at the same time you've got the mind going, then you're, you're almost working against yourself. So for people who say, well, I'm going to go see the psychologist, I'm going to see this, I'm going to see that, I've been in therapy for three months, it doesn't seem to be working as well. Well, if I see, and I mean this with all due respect, but if I see that you're 60 pounds overweight, yeah. if I see that you're struggling to breathe, if I see you know, all of these different things, you're sweating when you're talking to me, and you're, you're going to all these therapy sessions and it's still not working, there could be part of your body that's also contributing to this now. And we need to try to get, and you'd need somebody like Bruce Lipton to, to, to figure all that out. I haven't figured any of this stuff out. I've just, you know, I've just been able to put it together and say, well, wait a minute. Why aren't we putting all these things together at the same time? Why aren't we working all these things together at the same time instead of the same? Yeah. Let's work on this 
and let's work on this. You know, so if you're going to sell a book about this, why don't you put it together as a package? You know, you and four of your friends all write books on the different things that you're good at and put them all together and sell them as a, as a box set because that's what people need. They need to be able to understand that it's mind and body. It'd be no yeah. different. You know, you're, you're going to try to teach a sales team to be the best in the world, but if they can barely, you know, fit into the, the seat in the auditorium right. or behind right. the desk to work and, right. you know, they, they're falling asleep at two in the afternoon because they ate a great big, you know, chicken and potatoes for lunch instead of some salad and stuff. And the proteins were too much for their body, you know, or whatever, and the carbs and they're falling asleep. But nobody's listening. Right. And they're never going to excel. So if we can put the mind and the body together, and that's been huge for trauma. You look at the amount of people who have PTSD who are first mm -hmm. responders mm -hmm. and look at them today and then look at them three years or five years from now, if they're still struggling and they haven't gotten help yet and look at things like weight gain and look at a lot of the other problems that have happened, you know, cancers and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a chemist or a scientist of any sort, so I'm not going to get into what of that is related or not. But I can tell you that it's oddly coincidental that all of these things manifest yeah. when up here has, you know, been traumatized, right? Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's about as thorough a response as I, I can imagine right, you could cool. have given. And I, I think you're just really great at giving us real practical takeaways. So to, to summarize that last bit is uh, for folks with trauma, here are six things that you mentioned. One, survive, right? Yeah. Get help yeah. and survive. Two, maybe you need some meds. Maybe you need to stay at a treatment center. Three, understand your triggers, like loud places or, you know, physical touch or, you know, personal space. Four, meditation in any form. Learn to slow down. Five, breath work. And six, physical wellness, nutrition, fitness. Yeah. And, you know, the breath work and the meditating kind of goes together because that's one of the things you focus on if you're looking sure. at traditional. But, but, you know, all of those things uh, can be a huge help. And, you know, then, then there are a multitude of things that people can do after that, right? They, they may continue therapy. They may be part of a, of, a, of a group that meets for coffee once a week of other first responders who are also working on it. Don't meet for coffee with the first responders who don't want to help themselves. Right. But, but unless you can, unless you have the strength and wherewithal to help them. Uh, but you know, there are all sorts of things you can do after that. Um, but, but I think, I you know, before anything, well, then not, no, no I'll, I'll, I'll take that back. Actually, I don't agree with myself. It's after you survive, <laughs> mm -hmm. then know the huge paradigm shift in our conversation is, is from dis-ease to ease, right? Or yeah. from disability to ability, right? right. Don't dis your abilities. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And you said, if my mind, this isn't exactly how you said it, but this is how I documented it. In fact, I documented it two ways. First mm -hmm. was, if my mind can be damaged by trauma, it can be fixed by you know, these, these techniques. It can be fixed by all the things you just mentioned. In yes. there, right. If it can be damaged, yeah. it can be fixed. No, but that's a I big deal. Right. So if it can be, so then I rewrote it. If my mind can be weakened by trauma, it can be strengthened by exercise. And you just listed out all the different ways that you can exercise, like exercising the mind, Absolutely. which is why you and I are mindset coaches. Right. To, well, you know what, man, this has been incredibly informative to me. I, like I said, I was in rapture. I, and what I love about conversation like this, like conversations like this, Joe, is that you have a wealth of, uh, like really practical uh, things for people to do. Yeah. Right. My goal so is it's not, this is just a theory. Lot of, 
let's just keep moving forward. Why? I mean, there are guys like you who are trained to be able to do so much of this stuff and understanding a lot of the theory and I'm not a theory guy. So I'm kind of here to be able to tell my stories. That's so great. Think about it so that when guys like you come in with theory, uh, man, you're able to help them blow it out of the water. Right. Which is, which is awesome. awesome. I'm happy to be involved in that part of it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm happy that you made time for us today. brother. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate you and keep up the amazing work. Thanks Joe. You too. Take care. And I forgot to ask you before we just uh, ended there, <clears throat> for those who are uh, not, who don't have access, you know, to the website or the, the show notes and can't see any of, you know, your links, where do you want people get to go to find you, to connect with you uh, or to follow you? Yeah, sure. No, look, people are always welcome. And it's good that you mentioned that they may not see this because I was going to say otherwise they could recognize this face anywhere and that would be where I'd be. But if you're listening and not seeing, you won't know what I mean. The big bald head. Um, look, you can find me. I'm most often on Facebook. I guess they can find me in my Facebook group or page, which is just Joe Trevor's official. Uh, obviously I'm on, you know, Instagram as Joe Trevor's, uh, you know, they can, uh, they can go to go.abundantmind.ca and there would be links there to be able to email me or seek me out that way as well. So. Okay. Perfect. I'm, I'm glad we, we, we came back on. For yeah. That. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. All right. Thanks brother. Wow. What a, what a fascinating cat. Uh, I mean, there's so many things uh, that I took away from that conversation. Um, like what if, why not, right? Getting into the habit of asking those questions. What, you know, what, what if it is possible? What if it's not a bed? Uh, if it, if, uh, what if I am ready? What if there are no obstacles between me and being what I, who I want or having what I want or doing what I want? And why not me? Why not now? Uh, have a cry. I, I, you know, I, I wrote that down. You know, if, and if you feel like it, just have a cry. And this is coming from a hardcore, former hardcore, badass firefighter who now meditates and has, um, has his own Reiki energy healer. <laughs> Shit that he used to make fun of. Don't diss my ability. I'm going to look up this guy, Sean Smith. That sounds pretty fascinating. And for people with trauma, he gave six you know, great practical steps for healing. First, obviously, survive it, right? Get some help. Uh, if meds are necessary, good. Uh, maybe not forever. And um, understand your triggers. Integrate some form of meditation into your life and or breath work. And make sure that you're fit and, uh, and that you're keeping your nutrition in check because of the inextricable relationship between mind and body. All right, folks, that was awesome. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, create miracles.